0: I stand firm in my belief that not knowing the titles of the episodes and not he- watching those fucking trailers is the best way to experience the film or the show. I
1: haven't watched any trailers for each episode or any previews for each episode, but I did watch that trailer for the season, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad I did. It it set an awesome tone, and it and it didn't give anything
2: away. I mean, you could
1: say if it's predicting like the downfall of walt in any way you know if that's what the poem is predicting then it's sort of giving that away but you knew that just from having watched the seasons oh ser- well,
3: yeah if, say, if, you're, if you're watching the series you kind of know that's what the show is about so yeah. there's a, it's like wait a minute he, he doesn't end up on top no right. mm-hmm. Or going to disneyland you know mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah
4: yeah <laughs> they yeah, end it, up on a family trip to Belize.
3: It's it basic, basically it's just him reading the poem, and all you see is like the the beautiful photography of Albuquerque in New Mexico, yeah. a little bit of time lapse kind of stuff. You're not showing anything about the season. It's yeah.
4: yeah. All right. It doesn't give it, anything away.
3: Yeah. It would be like saying, oh, they showed. The, uh, never mind. I'm gonna shut up. Let's go on.
4: Yes. In case you're wondering who we are, this is this is Breaking Geek the Breaking Bad podcast from Geek Girl Soup, and it's Tuesday night, so we're talking about this last uh, episode of Breaking Bad. Uh, We welcome your comments via email, geekgirlsoup at gmail.com, voicemail 503-447-6871, or in our lively Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash soup. I'm Susan, and I'm here with...
0: I'm Chris. I'm Kelly.
3: And I'm Scott.
4: So, well, just a, just a quick break here to talk about our other, uh, our friends podcasting, uh, Nattercast and Watchers of Anarchy are doing a, are doing Sons of Anarchy podcasts. Yeah. So tonight it's episode 14, season five, Ozymandias written by Moira Wally Beckett, directed by Ryan Johnson. And he just won a, uh, Director's Guild of America Award for directing another Breaking Bad episode, 51. Cool. And also um, Kelly Dixon just won an Emmy Award for uh, editing episode 508, Gliding Overall, with the the two uh, amazing montages in that one. Yeah.
1: If anyone is wondering how she just won the Emmy when the Emmys haven't been given yet, it was one of the ones that's given earlier than the um, mm-hmm.
2: well.
1: than the official ceremony, mm-hmm. just like with the Oscars. They get the technical ones.
4: Right.
0: And here I thought you had inside information.
4: That's right. She's a close personal friend.
0: <laughs> I wish. Yeah.
4: Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Before we get so, you know, it, I've been holding off on having a sip of my um, Patron tonight, and I would like to drink it to Hank. To Hank. And and it's too bad I didn't have a nice dark brow around, but (laughs) I don't.
3: I poured a little bit on the floor for him.
4: (laughs) Aw. One
3: one for my homie.
4: Well, uh, Vince Gilligan called this one the best episode ever. So I I guess, you know, after we talk about this. So we don't have to
0: watch anything else.
4: No, we don't have to watch (laughs) anything else. We can quit now. (laughs)
0: Uh, His editor keeps saying, this was the best one. This one I love. She said that like the past three episodes.
4: I know. Because they just keep getting better. (laughs) They do. So, uh, Scott, you're starting out tonight. So uh, was it the best episode
3: ever? (laughs) It's definitely the most gut-wrenching episode ever. Mm -hmm. The most, possibly the most heartbreaking episode ever. It might be. It, it's, it's really high up there. I think I'm going to wait until after the series is over, take a look back and decide what my favorite episode was, but yeah. it's going to be a very difficult one to top because there's so much that happens in this episode. It's just, it's, un, it's an unbelievable work to me. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: If a show is about setting up triggers and then pulling them, Huh. This expertly pulled many, many triggers. Oh yeah. Throughout yeah. the course of the episode. So, okay.
4: so Scott, go for it.
3: Okay. Well, as you said, the, t- the episode's title was Ozymandias, and I probably should say something about the title before I go into the general episode recap. Um, the poem Ozymandias by Shelley. It tells a tale of how a once all-powerful king's reign has not only ended but his empire has been destroyed and all that remains is the dusty decay of ruins. Pretty much is symbolic of the fact that all leaders, good or bad, benevolent or ruthless, they all eventually decline. Their Kingdoms rise and they, but they inevitably fall. And that's the story of Walter White, not just in this episode, but over the course of the last 60 episodes, we have been watching the rise and now fall of Walter White. So, let's go right into the cold open. And the very first image we see is water boiling in an Erlenmeyer flask. And we might remember how Walt made such a big deal about the Erlenmeyer flask back in the very first episode of Breaking Bad. And as I understand it, and Susan can probably correct me if I'm wrong about this, I believe that was an inside joke by Vince Gilligan because there was an X-Files episode that was actually named Erlenmeyer flask back in the first season of the X-Files. Um... With one more connection between The X-Files and uh, Breaking Bad, so I thought that was kind of funny. It's also, since Brian Cranston, Dean Norris, and Aaron Paul all appeared on The X-Files before Breaking Bad. Cool. Anyway, back to the Erlenmeyer flask, and we realize we're <laughs> back in the RV. And Walt still has his hair, although eh, it's clearly not really his hair. <laughs> he's, wearing the, he's wearing the big smock, he's wearing his tidy whities and we see Jesse off to the side, and he's wondering how long it's going to take before, unless Mr. White has eight more anal things they need to do first. We, we realize we're watching a flashback, and this may very well be their very first cook together. Now Walt, says, Walt starts to get all science-y as he starts to explain how the reaction is exothermic, and Jesse's just rolling his eyes and muttering about being in a coma as a result of this. You're watching the original relationship between them, how it was a typical disinterested student and an exasperated science teacher. (laughs) Even to the point where Walt actually says, what did you just say? Which is the kind of thing a teacher would say to someone making a wisecrack in the back of a classroom, I thought. Yeah. So Jesse is about to light up a cigarette. Walt scolds him. And then you get this little brief, fairly crude exchange of dialogue. But I thought it really encapsulated the original Jesse-Waltz relationship or partnership. Duh, like I'm an idiot. Yeah, like you're an idiot. Dick. I I loved that, the dick. I I just loved it because you realize right off the bat, idiot, which we just heard Jesse say a few episodes ago when he's not calling me an idiot. And we see back in the very first time they're cooking together, he's calling him an idiot. Mm -hmm. And... But there isn't the anti- there isn't the genuine antagonism that we know is going to happen several months after this. So, they both leave the RV, and that's when Jesse he can't stand the sight of seeing Walt in his tidy whitey. So he he has to look away. He walks off <laughs> to go smoke his little cigarette, and then we see Walt putting on that familiar green shirt that we all remember from that first episode and from the early phase of Walter White, and he starts to walk away from the RV, you know, off towards the rocks, and he does something that we haven't really seen before. I mean, the closest we might have come to it might be in Bullet Points from season four when Walt and Skyler are practicing the story of the gambling, the the cover story about gambling. We see Walt is practicing his cover story for what he's doing out there in the RV. And we realize this might be the first time he's ever going to lie to Skylar about the drug business, about covering up for the drug business. We know he hasn't told her about the cancer yet, but this might be his very first out-and-out lie. And you see him, he's trying to choose the right words, so on and so forth. He finally gets comfortable with, with the right words, and he calls her. And of course, as luck would have it, he barely gets a sentence out where Skylar cuts him off. She, she doesn't care. It's fine. It's no big deal. This isn't the Skylar who, over the next few weeks is gonna get more and more exasperated and angry about the millions of cover stories Walt has. At this point, she's just very pregnant, and she's really just excited about the fact she sold another crappy figurine on eBay. I think it, <laughs> Was it a clown? I think it was a clown. Yeah, it was yeah. a clown. Okay. A clown. What's kind of significant about that little moment there is when you realize this is what Skyler was then. Her biggest concerns were obviously the fact she was about to have a baby. And other than that, the biggest problem in her life was how much things were selling for on eBay, who the highest bidder was, so on and so forth. Very, very innocent times for Skylar. And hand jobs. And-
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Edited out hand jobs since I missed that.
0: It ties in with the eBay story, Scott. Yeah, Sorry. no, I need I, mean I to interrupt. That-
3: no, no. no, I understand. I, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't upset. Uh, she actually even suggests that Walt picks up a pizza, which is like a little nod to we know that Walt likes to bring pizza home. Of course, yeah. I think there's a two for one deal at Venezia's ben- because you know yeah. she yeah. likes to eat her pizza too.
4: I was wondering if that was the same place, and it probably is.
3: I'm, I'm the, the root yeah.
4: pizza place. Yeah,
3: I'm hope I would hope it would be. Yeah. <laughs> During this conversation, if you're watching the. If you're watching TV very closely, what's kind of funny, if you look way off in the distance in the background, watch what Jesse's doing by the RV. It, bas- it basically <laughs> looks like he's doing an impression of Michael Sarah from Arrested Development doing the lightsaber duel because he's he's oh, he's running around waving a stick like a sword back and forth. He's like he's reenacting like a Jedi, you know, lightsaber duel or something. I noticed that and I was like, oh my god, look how. Look how innocent Jesse was even back then. Mm -hmm. Um, As Skylar and Walt continue to talk, you realize this is the first time she's said the name Holly, that they may name the child Holly, which is a, a nice little moment to have. They also talk about the idea of maybe going on a little family vacation for the weekend. You know, just the three, excuse me, four of them, if you include the unborn Holly. And what's kind of funny about that is you realize that pretty soon after this, Walt never really has time to be going on any family vacations with anybody. Right. <laughs> that vacation never happens. All right. And the, the, probably the most poignant or sa- thing that made me most sad about this conversation was how it ended. They both say I love you to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And even though I've seen every episode at least a few times at this point, I'm having a hard time remembering when the last time that happened. I mean, I'm sure it happened in the first season a few times, but that that's probably the last time we saw them both express genuine and sincere love for each other like that. Yeah. So that was kind of sad. Yeah. He ends the phone call, and it's nice to see Walt end the phone call on his cell phone and not have to break it right after. <laughs> uh. It's
1: been a long time since we've seen that, too. Right. Yeah.
3: And he's pretty much, he's just standing there pondering and then he vanishes. Then a few seconds later, you see the little figure of Jesse. He disappears, too. And then finally, poof, the RV disappears as well. And I don't know about you guys, and maybe I'm just all twisted up about this show right now. Just when that RV disappeared, I felt really, really sad. I was well, me, like,
1: too. Yeah, me, too.
3: The whole and sequence
0: was, was creepy.
1: yeah. It was gorgeous, but yeah, when those faded out and it was so quiet, and we already knew what had happened in in the desert, you know, we didn't know what was gonna what the aftermath was, but we, you know, we left last week with a a shootout, and so it was really sad.
4: Yeah. So I mean, it was it was really sweet to see them together, but then knowing what happened.
0: Yeah. That sequence did an excellent job of. Setting the the setting the the location up,
2: yeah, uh,
0: that we're going to be uh, playing out the rest of this uh, this scene, and and reminding the audience of uh, the fact that this truly is the beginnings, yeah. or was the beginning and is the end.
3: Right, yeah. exactly, because we're, we're seeing the beginning in this flashback, and we know full well once we fast forward again whatever a year plus year and four months three months whatever it is we're going to see the end of what happened in this location
2: yeah
1: hey, real quick before you move on this is not a tangent <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh god when
1: it's not when uh when skylar brought up the potential name of holly did did you all take that as foreshadowing or did it worry you that it was
3: i did yeah me too I- I absolutely did.
4: Mm-mm, I wasn't. No. Oh, okay. No. No. Why? Explain.
1: With all of our baby talk, not baby talk. You know, talk about <laughs> Holly and the pink and the pink teddy bear and the pool. Um, I thought, oh shit, where it's foreshadowing. Well,
3: well, it, it was foreshadowing. It just it wasn't yes. foreshadowing to what we were most afraid of happening. Right. But it's right. foreshadowing that 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 child is going to be playing a major part right. when we get to the end of the story. Right. It's like any it's like any good story, you don't plant things in the beginning unless you're gonna use them at the end. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and so knowing Polly's
0: been... name is kind of important later on. And yes. we we'll get to that in, in in that section.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I guess my my question I should have been more specific then. Did you all take it as foreshadowing that the kid was going to die?
0: You got a sense no. of foreboding due to the mere mention of her name? No, but it didn't strike it, me that way.
1: Okay, only because we we here had been talking about the possibility mm-hmm. that that they may kill Holly off. That Right all of the, her wearing the pink, like the pink teddy bear in the pool and, um, you know, just what that would signify to, to Walt and everything that, that there's a chance, you know, we have been speculating that might happen.
3: Right.
1: I didn't Kelly, want us to be right about it, but
3: right, Kelly, I have to say that I'm, I'm with you on this. It did. I can't say it, the thought didn't occur to me. It absolutely did. It wouldn't be the first time that that child has been used as a method of foreshadowing of death. To come later on that episode, I mean, the episode where Jane dies back in season yeah. two, early yeah. on. Walt moves the child because he and he says, you know, she could choke on her own, you know, spit oh, up yeah. or vomit. And then yeah. later on, Jane dies in that very same way. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the first time they've used that baby, unborn right. or not, <laughs> to yeah. be yeah. a
0: the harbinger up- of death. <laughs> right. oh, and I'm worried. and she, she successfully does it again. Yeah. It is true. if you think of it that way. Yeah.
4: Well, I've some uh some production information from the Insider podcast uh that that scene was shot on the very last day of shooting of the series because oh, wow. you know for the hair and oh. because Cranston had to shave and Aaron had to grow his hair out but yeah Cranston's wearing a wig. So. <laughs> okay, I thought so that's yeah. so
1: sweet
4: yeah oh yeah. so Aww. it was you know they they kind of had the same feeling you know the the cast and crew there is kind of bittersweet for them too wow
3: i think it's amazing that the last thing they shot and is is going back to the beginning at, with the rv yeah. yeah that's really beautiful and
4: it- that, that rv is on in storage on the sony lot <laughs> Oh my gosh!
3: Should be wow. in the Should be in the Smithsonian. That's what he said. Yeah. Yes. That's what
4: Gilligan said.
3: Yeah. Yes. I agree with it's,
1: him. It's just, and that it, it's really perfect hearing that that was their their last scene because Scott, like you were writing about in this your blog post this week, all of the uh, sort of circular references, you know, going back to the beginning and how everything ties together. Um, it 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 does. You know, every episode. Um, has something within it, and that that circles back to the whole, you know, the beginning of the whole series. And so, for them to end by literally going back to the beginning like that is mm-hmm. just so symbolic for the whole series.
3: Yeah, I, I'm so happy you told me that, Susan, or told us that. I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, I'm <thinking laughs> for everybody,
4: not just you. that? Right. <laughs> right. Oh, <God. laughs>
3: No, I try, and it's I It's all about Scott, me. right? That may be, but still.
1: And my My husband Jeez. still says I when he means we, so it's okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's not just you, in other words. So, what a great scene.
3: So, then we, apparently, after the commercial break, we fast forward 16 months, and we first hear guns firing... And then we realize we're back again at Tahajali, where we see the cars and the trucks all set up for... It's the aftermath of the standoff between the Aryan Brotherhood and Hank and Gomez. We discover that Gomez is dead, his gun lying just a few feet away from him, and Hank's been shot in his leg. Um, what, what kind but, of
1: gun? What's that? Oh my God.
4: It was a shotgun?
1: It was long, is all I know. It wasn't a
4: handgun. It was a long gun. It was a shotgun. Okay, thank you.
3: I'm feeling like the dog in Ren and Stimpy right now. <laughs>
1: I, I was done. I'm done now.
3: Oh, no, it's fine. It was funny. You made me laugh. Maybe. Um <laughs>
1: It was a one Scott's hot Scott's laugh. fake laughter.
3: Oh yeah. Well you've you've heard my real laugh. It's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. So, <laughs> so speaking of that gun that we didn't really need to identify, Hank starts to crawl over to it. You know, and remember, this is gimpy Hank, and he's bleeding from his leg. But we can also see off in the distance, Uncle Jack spots this as he walks towards him and With his boot heel, he stops and, you know, he puts his foot on the gun. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh. So Todd checks the other car and notices that uh, Pinkman is gone. They figure Pinkman's probably run off towards the gully. So Uncle Jack sends two of the other guys, I think it's uh, Frankie and Lester, not that we really need to know those names either, uh, to track him down. At this point, Kenny checks the IDs and realizes that Hank and Gomi were DEA. And at that point, Uncle Jack gets his gun ready. He's about to blow Hank away, and we hear Walt screaming, no, 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 from the car. He finally gets out of the car. He's still in handcuffs, and he gets over there. He's trying to stop Jack from executing Hank. Jack, Uncle Jack doesn't understand why, but Walt is saying he's family. It's his brother-in-law. I was actually a little surprised that Uncle Jack didn't make a comment. Like, really? Another one was family? You know, because that's what he said about Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uncle Jack. Well, Jack's- though, with Jesse, said like family, didn't he?
3: I he think has you're his two right.
1: Phrases. He's family versus he's like family.
3: I think you're right, though. I, I, I don't know if Uncle Jack would have uh, noticed the discrepancy, but yeah, you're right. I think you're right. Um, he was more concerned with the fact that he had
0: a family member that was DEA and didn't yeah, know about
3: that. Right. right. <laughs> Actually, as, yeah, because he's kind of annoyed that he wasn't told about this. Mm-hmm. You know, Walt initially tries to counter that by saying, well, I that he called them off. He told them not to come. At this point, Jack just wants to know what the hell is going on. Walt insists that it doesn't concern him, but Jack points out that he just wasted his partner and the dude's wearing a bullet, so it does concern him. So at this point, Walt tries to convince Uncle Jack that the DEA doesn't know about this, that no one else is coming. Of course, there's no reason that Walt would actually know that for a fact. But he's actually right in his assumption on this on, on this time. Right. Um, wait, wait, wait. Didn't – just going back an episode,
0: I thought that that was after he uh, had been arrested – he would have certainly heard Hank say that they were going to call it in at that point. The
3: Before only thing,
4: they, they hadn't called it in yet.
3: The, yeah. only I, the only thing I recall him hearing Hank saying, and he might, this might have happened, um, was that he said he would call the native police to let them know that Jesse and Gomez were there as he drives back. Um, I don't know if Hank would have actually said no one else at the DEA knows about this except the two of us. I, I don't know if there's a reason that, why Walt would know. It. But you're probably, you know what? I bet you're right, and I'm just not remembering it. So I'll, I'm going to assume you're right on this.
4: There's there's the guy who's in the hotel room with, um, with Huell, Huel. but yeah, I don't I, think he knows anything yeah. about what's going on.
0: Nothing. Right, but the question is whether or not Hank, I mean, whether or not Walt would know that Hank and Gomez were doing this off the grid somewhat yeah. and had arrested him without informing the rest of Because that's a big, that's kind of a big thing. We can let it slide because like so much else was, was going on in this thing. But I thought the reason he may have thought that was because Hank said they needed to call it in. They were, they were they had gone over the who gets the rights to arrest them, and he's yeah. and Gomez gave it up to, uh, to Hank, and I thought around that period, uh, he said something before the bad guys arrive mm-hmm. because he called, he called, um, he called Murray. his wife. Right. The question yeah.
1: was 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 Walt already in the car and thus not able to hear when Hank said that about right. calling it in, and I just don't remember.
0: But this is a little point. Yeah. Let's not get yeah. hung up on it. And uh, the we, can, we can always go back and,
3: and investigate. Right. It'll, you know Once any of us go, goes back and watches the final moments of that episode, we'll know for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, where was I? Um, he does try to convince Jack that the DA doesn't know, that, know about this. No one else is coming. And then he's trying to convince Hank that nothing can change what's happened. If he just lets this go, he'll be able to walk out of here alive. <laughs>
1: That's like his whole philosophy for his own situation as well, when you think about it. Like when he gave up the business at the end of last season, you know, a year ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he thought he could live happily ever after before Hank opened the book on the pot.
2: <laughs>
1: Toilet. Um, I think that that's Walt's whole philosophy about this. You know, he, he moved ahead without any regrets. It's like what happened, happened, lost.
2: <laughs>
1: thank you. Yep. Yeah. Wait, okay, wait, wait. Thank you. And um, so, what happened happened. Let's just move on. And and so, this to me was really interesting to hear him. I mean, I knew that's what his philosophy was, but to hear him articulate it and and try to get Hank to do the same, I just thought was really interesting.
2: Well.
3: Yeah, there is there is always a certain amount of naivete with Walt about these things. You know, mm-hmm. we, the fact he thought he ac- actually could get out of the business that e- that easily, right? Certainly. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe he should go back and watch the Godfather trilogy or something. Yeah,
1: because he's like <laughs> the only person on in the whole show, of course, who feels capable of just walking away, just right. moving on. No one else can do that. So,
3: of course, the irony is he did have opportunities. Mm-hmm. Several times over, where he could have walked away, mm-hmm. and, and at those points in time, he refused. Yeah. So,
0: and yeah. I'm not quite certain. I be- I believe what you're saying there, Kelly, because there's another person in the show who has established the fact that they couldn't continue on with things as they were. That would be Mrs. White. Could uh, or could 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 could. Yes. But could. she, she's the one could. who put to him, listen, here's the pile of cash. How big mm-hmm. does this have to be before you fucking let this go? Yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> and they and had then moved on they had their happened. little
0: family thing, so yeah. both of them had put it all behind them.
1: That's true. I did not mean to leave out Skylar like that. That's a good point, Chris.
3: Absolutely. But Jack is reacting to all this, and he basically says, there's no scenario where this guy lives. And, and again, he's about to shoot Hank. And then Walt finally blurts out, that he'll give him his his fortune, his money, eighty million dollars. That gives Jack pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Walt is trying to convince him he can take it all, he can have a new life, a new future. But all they have to do is let Hank live. So Jack puts it to Hank, who's just lying there watching all this. What do you think, Fed? Would you take the deal? Now, it's interesting. Walt insists on call- that he calls him Hank. His name is Hank. His name is Hank, which is, always reminds me of that thing where you try to personalize uh, mm-hmm. with a murderer. Like, yeah. if you know the name, you make an emotional connection. Right. I don't know if that would work with someone like Uncle Jack. Guys who wear swastikas <laughs> but, usually don't no. make emotional connections to their victims. But he's doing the best he can. He's doing the best he can.
0: This strikes me as, like, Hank... Well, continue, Scott. We'll discuss the scene after
3: you've painted the full picture. Absolutely. So so Jack looks down at Hank once again and says, How about it, Hank? Should I let you go? And that's where Hank gets his beautiful crowning moment of the scene. My name is Asax Schrader, and you can go fuck yourself. Walt freaking out it's like Hank you know you know he's telling him to listen to him that he's got to do this and at a certain point Hank just says you want me to beg you're the smartest guy I've ever met and you're too stupid to see that he made up his mind 10 minutes ago great
1: line loved that
3: line and how
1: Hank had to crane his neck around to look at Walt and and say that and
3: and it's a perfect encapsulation of of Walt because Walt is, generally speaking, with the exception probably of Gus Fring, he's usually the smartest guy in the room. He's a smart, whatever. <laughs> but he does do some very stupid things and he does overlook things or, or maybe he's operating on misinformation or whatever. He does make mistakes. Well, of course, we wouldn't have a series if he didn't make mistakes. And the saddest part about all this is his final words are... Do what you're going to do. And he gets shot in the head right on the word do. So he doesn't really get to finish his final words, quite frankly. At that moment, Walt collapses. And it's interesting, when you see Walt collapse, I think someone online pointed this out to me, uh, to all, to me and thousands of other people. Uh, <laughs> it's all about me again, there you go. Um, and I thought it was amazing that they caught this. The similarity of when Walt falls and the reaction on his face and when we go back to season four of the flashback with Gus Fring, the way Gus Fring looked what, yeah. he, on the floor watching when his partner was b- being uh, slaughtered, it's yeah. pretty much the same expression. It's, you know, it's another friend of mine compared to the way his face looked to the comedy and tragedy mask set from, you know, Grecian and Roman times, which mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, the way the contortion of his mouth does remind me of that. You're right. Of course, and if I'm going to be funny about it, I also thought, oh, he's doing a near catatonic thing, and that seems to be a running thing for a lot of people on this show. Now it's Walt's turn. Mm. <laughs> so Todd's watching this, and for a moment I thought Todd was actually going to be emotionally affected by it. He was. Of, well, watch it. He's watching, I he's, did. It, I'm not going to say he's not emotionally affected at all, but he's not emotionally affected to the extent where he's not a sociopath because he doesn't go to wipe his eyes. He goes to wipe his nose and he's just <laughs> looking at him. And he, the, the actor plays it so well that he rarely gives Todd much of an expression.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, Because he doesn't you know, we we can uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We can we can imagine he's looking at him with disdain, right? Or or he's surprised or shocked or whatever but he's not really registering that, but, you know, we're, we're telegraphing the, the emotions we believe he should be feeling. So I'm, I'm not so sure. but there's a, there's a slight expression, but, but very slight. It's, he's still Todd the sociopath, I think. In that.
1: Yeah, th- that is interesting. I won't stay on it, uh, more than just a sec here, but I, I did read that differently and I don't know that I wanted Todd to be sympathetic. Um, I and I didn't see a problem with him him wiping his nose instead of his eyes um, I'm per- or used to be particularly good at um, holding back tears in public mm-hmm. and um, my nose would get sniffly instead. So oh, to right. me that was perfectly acceptable that and to me I still took it as a sign that he was emotionally moved not about Hank's death but about Walt being so upset, yeah, his Walt's idol, reaction. his surrogate dad.
0: He does go to Walt and tell him, sorry for yes. your loss. Yeah. Right. But, but I don't think
2: that I was placating
0: him. But I, I, do I, I don't think he feels, I, I, I'm kind of on Scott's side here, <laughs> where Todd is far more, I, I was going to say intelligent, but uh, or proves himself to be more intelligent in this episode, but I think it's really more cunning. Mm-hmm. He he is a cunning cat who plays it off as being, you know, some sort of Midwest uh, hayseed.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got a lot. Of, he's he's all about respect and being the, almost the gosh and golly type. And you realize yeah. that's a facade yeah. for what he really is. Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely agree about that.
1: Well, I'm still going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was moved by Walt and is still terribly cunning. And why am I going to give him the benefit of the doubt? Because of what I know of Vince Gilligan. And he does not create one-dimensional characters. His -hmm. characters are capable of much more than we are used to seeing in the real world. And especially (laughs) more than we're used to seeing on any other TV show or film ever. So I'm going to believe that, that Todd actually did feel that emotion then. And then, boom, moved on. And yeah. then turned cunning
3: again. I think Go it ahead. works both ways. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm accepting of that because if he did feel something, I would imagine it would be a glimmer, yeah. a, a moment, but not much more than that. So yeah. it's Are not you a point. He's a glimmer man. <laughs> I would never, ever, ever say that. Sagal so no. <laughs> <laughs> would have something to say about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway so where, where the heck was I oh here we go um, at this point speaking of being cunning and smart we realize Uncle Jack's pretty cunning and smart oh, yeah. he, he puts it together that they were given coordinates to find Walt as opposed to you know you take a left on this expressway and go 50 miles whatever he puts to again I'm going to use the phrase I did use last week he puts two and two together and realizes the money's buried somewhere, probably right where those coordinates are. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, that's where it is. And I don't know how long it takes him to dig up dig up all the stuff. I'm assuming it takes them more than a few minutes because of that gigantic pit that they have to dig out. The entire time they've, they unearth all seven barrels and load up and are loading up a truck, Walt has been lying on the ground in that state in that weird state that he's in i was I, I remember wondering about that like how long is he laying there
1: he he was kind of like granite <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow okay yeah
1: so that
3: was
4: just for you scott
3: oh. oh if that if that was just for me susan you have my permission to edit that out anyway so
4: well i have your permission wow oh here Thank we you.
3: go oh <laughs> right. We have to. We have to act for you. I had um, to get
1: it there somewhere, and you gave it to me today instead
3: of waiting until next week. Oh, great. Anyway. <laughs> so the bodies of Gomez and Hank are tossed into the pit where the money was, and I'm I'm assuming they and then they're buried.
4: Yeah, and that's that's when they those bodies were tossed in there. That's that was really when I started tearing up. You know. Yeah. Just the way that that was shot it was just—it was just so sad.
0: Well, they and were just. Oh, go on. Dur- during the uh, during the unearthing sequence, they do have a a shot a shot to the sky of um, a rock face and show the sky darkening. So it is a significant portion of time.
3: Okay.
0: Time. There is a time lapse shot.
3: Stuck oh, in there. okay. Excellent. I didn't even remember that. Excellent. I, I knew it had to be because. It's got to take a while, even though there's a couple of strong eyes, sure. it's still going to take a while to dig all that stuff out. Um, we also happen to notice, while Walt is lying on the ground, his eyes are open just a sliver. And you notice that he's looking towards his car, underneath his car. After a little discussion with Todd, Jack orders his men to take one of the barrels off the truck. Kenny's going, wait, dude, it's like 10 11 million. Jax is loaded into Walt's car. He makes a joke about them being greedy,
2: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> which I right. thought was really pretty funny, actually. Oh no, comedy, really? <laughs> <laughs> not laugh. Okay, let me let me rephrase. Since uh, I re- I thought was it. really kind of funny, as I thought what you yeah. were saying.
0: <laughs> Just go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Although not laugh out loud funny, since. Five Mm -hmm. seconds later, I was watching Hank's body being dragged into a pit, but Mm -hmm. just showing the kind of person Jack is once again. I think he says, Jesus, what's with all the greed here? It's unattractive. Yeah. A a guy with swastika tattoos is talking about something being unattractive. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. So Walt finally does get to his feet, and that's when Todd says he's sorry for his loss, because, you know, it was his family. But Jack tells him that his nephew respects him, And he would never forgive me if things went, quote unquote, another way. I I love the fact that he uses the phrase, are we square? (laughs) Walt doesn't react initially. And then Uncle Jack says, with a bit more menace in his tone, I gotta know we're square, or we're gonna have to go that other way. So at that point, Walt once again shakes that hand where we see that swastika prominently displayed. But as Jack starts to walk off, Walt growls the name, pinkman In fact i think he says it twice uncle jack looks back and he says you still owe me so they said okay you know if if we find him we'll kill him you know they'll they'll keep their end of the bargain whatever he says if you find yeah yeah we'll kill him right well and the very next line would be found him and then we realize jesse is hiding under the car all this time So two of the Neo-Nazis drag Jesse out from under the car while he's screaming and no, 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 whatever. They bring him to his knees. He looks up, and you see what I believe might be two vultures flying overhead. As the gun is put to the back of his head. Yeah. Right? Then Uncle Jack says, good to go. And Walt just gravely nods. But Todd, our favorite sociopath who might have a little bit of emotion in him after all, Todd interrupts. And he points out that since Jesse was working with the feds, eh, maybe they should keep him alive to find out what Jesse might have spilled to the feds. Now, Jack, he seems cool with that. Todd says to Walt that we'll take care of the job after they do that. Jack says, works for me, works for you. And Walt gravely nods once again. At this point, Jesse's just looking at him. He's got one of those, I don't even fucking know you kind of looks. But I think he's had that look so many times over the past few episodes. It's become, that's how I'm going to look at Walt now. I don't even fucking know you, man. So this shouldn't be any surprise. They start to drag him off once again. And he's, again, he's screaming no. And then Walt says, wait. And then we get a moment we've been wondering about for a long time if we were ever going to see this happen. He walks over to Jesse. He's got a—he's got kind of a sad expression on his face initially. And he says, I watched Jane die. Then he walks around, so he's face-to-face with him. And his expression isn't sad anymore. It's just, I don't want to say it's pure Heisenberg, but it kind of is. And what he says is, I was there, and I watched her die. I watched her overdose and choke to death. I could have saved her, but I didn't. Then basically he just sneers and walks away. Jesse, who's already fearing for his life, he's crushed. He's you know, yeah. what more can you do to the kid at this point? And I, I know there was a really huge reaction to this online. I noticed people were all going nuts about it and saying, "Well, why is why did Walt do that? Walt's such a dick." Blah blah blah. Why <laughs>
2: Walt such a. Dick? I love that uh,
3: surprise that's him killing him and exact exactly actually that's that puts it better than I could have put it because everything that's happened to, in this at, at Tahajali in Walt's mind is Jesse's fault. It doesn't mean it actually is No. <laughs> but Walt believes it to be Jesse's fault. Walt thinks i mean Walt thinks Jesse is the one who who was responsible for luring him out here. And getting Hank involved and all these other all these other things, he's not entirely accurate about that, but that's how he perceived the situation. So exactly, he's not going to have the cathartic release of killing Jesse himself because he, you know, Mister doesn't want to get his hands dirty. But he's going to do something that's almost as bad. He's going to tell him the most horrible thing possible, mm-hmm. which is also true. So,
4: now when was the last time that? He- do you remember when he almost told him about this before? The be
3: Fly. The Fly. Yeah. Which right. was also, which was also directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And,
0: but the thing that struck me when Jesse was being pulled from under that car as Walt was getting the handcuffs taken off, uh, it was what Jesse had told the DEA agents over coffee that morning. You guys don't know. Whatever you've got planned. It isn't going to work. He's Ooh. smarter than you. He's luckier than you. He's the devil. That was playing in my mind as Jesse was being dragged from under that car. Right. The that devil is. got his due.
4: And it's the the exact reverse opposite of what you think is going to happen. Yep. So they yeah. had Walton in handcuffs <laughs> in the car. You know, <laughs> Hank said said goodbye to his wife. They were on their they were, you know, about to drive back and now they're, now they're dead.
0: Hank gave yeah. Walt the Popeye Doyle wave yeah. from the French Connection in the car. <laughs>
3: no, they absol- they ab- they, that was more than just foreshadowing. They pretty much laid it out when Jesse <laughs> said all that. And I love that every moment of that pretty much came true. I mean, in the previous episode, once we realized that I bet those Nazis are still going to show up, that, that took me back to the, he's luckier than you.
2: Because
3: he had nothing to do with it. It just absolutely right. They because they could have listened to him, but they chose not to. He he got lucky, you know,
1: and he's in the car and he didn't get shot with all those bullets going through. Mm -hmm.
3: Amazingly.
1: And they leave
0: him a a, a barrel of money. But the funny thing is, it's not lucky. It's not it's the perception. It's 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 not what Walt is to Walt. This was all wrong. Right. Oh, yeah. Walt yeah, Walter no preferred luck. to have been caught by yeah. his family member and that yeah. to have been the end of his enterprise. Yeah. yeah. He was as crushed. And that's the, to me, the biggest tragedy of all this is I had a huge argument with a friend over um, still being Team Walt after all these doings. Right. He was like he got what he deserved and I the death of Hank is, was on him and all this <laughs> we we had this whole thing and it, and to me it was like dude couldn't you see that that hurt him as much as anything else yes he, his doings is what led to all of this but if you want to go that route you could say this is all Hank's fault because That's what Hank, Had to take him on that fucking ride-along just to be the macho man and show him what the fuck was up.
3: Actually, Chris, you can – I I might have talked about this either on my blog or on one of the message boards. I don't remember now. It was your blog, I think. It was my blog. Mm -hmm. That you can actually – that's right. You can actually go further than that. If Hank isn't being a jerk and doesn't put the TV on at Walt's birthday party where it's about the big meth bust – because that's where he first gets the idea, when he sees yeah. the big pile of money. He's like, how much money is that? And that's what makes him want to go on the drive along to find out more about it. If Hank doesn't basically put the TV on about himself at someone else's 50th birthday party, none of this ever happens. So it's I Hank's fault. You didn't ball. even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <it's laughs> but yeah, it's ball.
4: still Hank's fault. It's,
3: it's all Hank's fault. <laughs> um, I, 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 I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think one of the fascinating things about this episode, about what we've just talked about and what will be talked about later, was that despite the fact that Walt is being per, is perceived and rightfully so in most in most regards as the villain, you know, he still has humanity, and we see it in spades in several moments in this episode. Yeah, so yeah. he get he does get my sympathy. Yes, is he responsible for his own fate? And these consequences, absolutely. This show is about the consequences of of a person's decisions. And here's a man who's made a lot of decisions, and now he's going to – what's the phrase? Reaping what you sow? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This is possibly the greatest protagonist villain we've ever been Mm -hmm. exposed to. Because I've always had issues with Tony Soprano. Uh I mean – Totally, it's like you you warm up to the guy and then he murders somebody out of the blue that like really should not have been murdered right. it was just like he he was just having a bad day so he killed this person you know right. that, that would bug me uh, Vic Mackey I, I love the shield I, I was you know wanted Vic to get away with all the stuff that he got away with but, careful about like,
3: spoilers <laughs> <laughs>
0: But the the fact of the matter is that character is also a a villain who did things that were were tough to get over. And and this is the one villain that I buy hook, line, and sinker. And I think it's due to the fact that Gilligan made us complicit in the crime. We are part of the gang by watching the show, just by being there. I've had friends who have said, watched a little bit of it uh, and, and said, you know, not for me. I don't like it. You know, meth dealing is bad. And I actually respect those people who stop watching for that reason. Mm-hmm. Far yeah. more than people who are now bitching about, I don't like them anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yep. I had a... My ex girlfriend, I was trying to get her to watch the show because we we share a lot of sim- we we shared a lot of similar TV interests. Like she loved Lost, she loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so on and so forth. But she couldn't watch the show after a while, but and it wasn't really due to the fact that she didn't like Walter White or or anything. It was just purely because it was just too intense for her, and she just it was just it was too, it put her on the edge of her seat too much, where she just got nervous watching it. And she prefers to watch mo- mo- when she does watch TV. She wasn't a big TV watcher anyway. Mm-hmm. She wants to be more relaxed about it, just to like be, like comfort food. TV was more like comfort food to her. Where right. this was like. Ugh. And then, <laughs> now I'm not I'm not saying that's why we broke up. I will, <laughs> I, wow. I I will I will say we're, we're friends. That still. was the litmus test. It was, <laughs> I, you I, broke I had, bad over your <laughs> girl. I have made the joke to her since. Like, well, you know, (laughs) if you had only watched Breaking Bad with me, you know, maybe we'd we'd still be together today. Wow.
0: (laughs) Who's the Heisenberg now? Exactly.
3: (laughs) Oh, Lord.
1: So I want to say something real quick about um, Uncle Jack before we move on. I, what when... We were watching him take control, essentially, you know, in, in the desert there. What I was thinking was that he was really the rapid dog, the title of a couple episodes ago. That
2: Uncle when, Jack
4: was?
1: Yes. Because oh. he's the one who's out of control.
2: Yeah, I, don't I mean, he was
1: never an old yeller. I'm not saying that, that, you know, he was ever a sweet, lovable thing. But he was originally a hired hand it from Walt's perspective and now he's off doing his own thing he lost respect for Walt ages ago if he ever had any at all um, he probably did when they first met in that motel room or whatever
0: But um, well he in, and his crew are professional criminals though it's one of those things where like this is the kind of crook that Hank is used to dealing with yeah, and mm-hmm, why right, Hank yeah. knew where this was going where mm-hmm. Walt
3: didn't Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even if you so go back...
1: So he's not a
0: rabid dog? No, no. he's no, very I,
3: much no. a controlled dog. I mean,
0: one thing that you you mentioned in about Gilligan making these rounded characters that aren't all good and all bad, but are gray, I think in this character, you've got your all bad guy.
2: Oh, I agree. <laughs> oh,
0: totally.
1: <laughs> that That is definitely what, what he's there's, there there's for. There's no
0: real redeemable... No, I
1: agree. The, no, the, none. I have no, nothing, nothing.
3: Well, the, close, yeah. the closer, the you get to anything redemptive about him, which it, it's not, is that because he respects his nephew, who right. still, you know, cares about Walter White, cares in a toxic class, you know, sociopath, you know, right.
0: he also um, has a sense
3: of family. Which
0: right, is that, in criminal organization. Yeah, I was gonna say but, it's
1: like quote, honor among thieves. But, but I'm I was still thinking of him as this rabid dog again from Walt's perspective, because Walt had hired him to do this job. And he Walt believes that he has control over every situation, can control people, you know, can control his entire world. And he can't, you know, a rabid dog can't be controlled. It can only be put down, which oh. then ties I, I, back into what I am suspecting may be coming with the M60 in the last two episodes.
3: I, I understand the point you're trying, you're making, or to to an extent. I just think it's because the word is rabid dog and what that implies, and that's not what Uncle Jack is. Yes, he's someone that Walt can't control. Walt's never, I don't think Walt's ever technically been in control of Uncle Jack, but he is a hired, he has a hired gun, absolutely. But him taking matters into his own hands, um, rabid dog more implies someone who's just out of control, isn't even thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Jesse at the end of, um, is it Confessions or Rabid Dog? Confessions, right? When he's roaring and growling and splashing gasoline all Mm -hmm. over the house, and, that's your rabid dog. Uh, that's a rabid dog. Yeah, but Uncle Jack has been—he's been, been actually—he's been pretty much in control because he—he could have—he—he didn't—he didn't shoot Hank right away. He could have killed Walt and just taken the money. You know, he, oh yeah,
1: no, I know he's in control. he—he yeah, uh, he is. I'm not saying a, he's out of control no, absolutely. or so, irrational or anything.
3: Right. That's why. That's what. that would be my only question because the word rabid or rabid dog would seem to apply otherwise. But I know what you mean. Yeah. So. I don't, you know, you're, you're right. I think you're right to assert. And
0: you're, you're still, yeah, you're, I think you're, the. It's semantics. Exactly. Right. It's semantics. Semantic. Y'all it's don't like that semantic. I'm
1: using the word rabid. Yeah. And the only reason why I am That's is because Jesse was the rabid dog in the episode called Rabbit Dog. If it weren't for that episode title, I wouldn't be using that with him. And yeah. I'm using it now because of that and because Walt is not in control of and Jack I'll, and I'll, finally realizes
3: that. I'll give you my last word on this. The other, you know, because a rabbit dog, to me, at least the way they would use it in this show, is someone who totally lets themselves get ruled and led by their emotions, like Jesse does.
2: Mm-hmm. We
3: have not seen Jack get led by his emotions in anything he's done so far. We, yeah. we, might, we might interpret that he probably doesn't care much for Walt or this, that, or the other thing. But he's not, he's not made any decisions based on emotion. He's done it based on greed or money or, or things like that. Breed is on a track. Yes, <laughs> but he didn't even pointed it up. But he did take seventy million, so he didn't. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. He didn't That's stick good. to the deal. He didn't stick to right. the deal. <laughs> yeah, it
0: turns out money was uh, money. Did talk. <laughs> hey,
4: yeah, everybody has a price, right?
0: <laughs> it's like you know what? You don't have to cook for us anymore.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. turns out we got another cook. Oh, the very, oh, by the way, so the very last shot we see from this act is the Aryan Brotherhood driving off with Jesse in the back of the car, and he looks back at Walt, who just stares at him as they drive off. And that's the and end of the
0: This is the first of many shots like this that we'll see this episode. Like, that weird Jesse in the back of the car, we're close on him. We're close on his face, and then the car pulls away from the camera. Yes, as he he goes off into the distance. We'll Absolutely. see echoes of this again.
3: Right, and, the, and I, when we when we get actually when we when we finish this up, we should definitely talk about what each of those things represent because that, that actually occurred to me as well.
1: I did love the shot of Hank with his hand over his bleeding leg, and uh, I really noticed his wedding band.
3: Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't even thought of that. Nice. Good call. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. Action Hank gone. (sighs) After going through all that pain and suffering. But he went out on his own. Oh,
2: absolutely.
0: You know,
3: two legs. If if he hadn't broken bad. No, I'm just kidding. This would never have happened.
1: Aww. kinda I mean I, I'm not blaming him at all but if he had told the whole department and had more people in on
0: it you know back up right there yeah the cavalry you, you can also con- consider the fact that Hank at no point was sympathetic to Walt's plight
2: right Right. yeah
0: you know like yeah. Yeah. it was all I know black and white yeah, it's, you know you broke the law I'm a law man but yeah. like Hey, there are extend well, but here's the thing about the show: it keeps fucking with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is that fact that he had those ten people killed behind bars, and yeah. Hank can never yeah. forget that. Mm-hmm. That okay. is the reason, I and mean, I keep forgetting about it honestly <laughs> because those people I didn't care as much about because I'm on fucking Team Walt. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, Hank accepted the story about the gambling money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He let that go.
1: Yeah, but that didn't but that hurt
4: a,
0: anyone. Like, yeah,
4: right. The that didn't hurt money, anyone. It
0: was just gambling money. Okay. And actually, he didn't take believe that. That was Marie that bought the gambling story.
4: Well, he, remember in bullet points, that's when they went to dinner at the at Hank and Marie's yeah. and told them told Hank the story too.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay.
4: And Walt was terribly, terribly sorry.
3: <laughs> Should oh oh you. Should it be two terribly or three? Ter- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that scene so much. He's so good at that scene. Oh my god! <laughs> now that was funny.
0: <laughs> well, here yes. comes that other funny bit, Scott. As we yes. pick up. This- oh, that's
4: right. Yes. In, in Act Two, when Walt's uh, luck runs out because he runs out of gas, uh, there was a, a bullet hole in his uh, in his car, but also. Another thing that we, that we finally see here in act two, we see the credits for the show.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, They had to get special permission to move them to, to second act um, because, you know, they're usually in the, in the beginning of act one, but there was just too much going on there emotionally. And so it was Ryan Johnson's idea to move them. And so they got this one-time special permission from the DGA to move the credits to the second act.
3: Wow! I, I didn't even realize that. That's amazing. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Wow.
4: And so, and and then this is what they called the the dung beetle scene, where he's rolling the, oh.
2: uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the
4: barrel through the through the desert, and. What do we pass? We pass Walt's pants from the pilot. So it's another another reference to the pilot
3: Did did you did you think there were like a couple other references here as well at least very slight?
0: I Did not see the pants Yeah, where were the pants?
4: The uh, they were in the foreground of of one of the shots as he as he just rolled by, but wow. they but you know I mean they were the set, pretty much the same color as the as the the dirt because they'd been there for what a year and a half and so right, but you know you could still see the shape of the pants.
3: Interesting. And I, now I'll, what I'll were go look for that?
4: Yeah, yeah. What were the others, Scott that you saw? Well,
3: this? well one's 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 really kind of slight. Not you know it's kind of stretching it a little bit. I thought the, or the last it's not the first time we've seen a, a tank run out of gas on this show. Cause it took me back to four days out when they were also trapped somewhere, you know, stuck yeah. somewhere off, you know, in desert land with, uh, with a, with no gas. But the, um, now I'm forgetting what it was. Oh God. Edit this. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Wait, well,
1: it also it's... reminded me of when he got away from Tuco's house,
3: he oh, wasn't no, rolling a
1: barrel, but he was going right.
3: through the desert. Yeah. I just remembered. Okay. Yeah. It just hit me. Sorry. Um, if we go back to, uh, was it, I believe it was season one, when it's kind of, a, kind of a little bit of a joke, when Walt clearly didn't know how to transport a barrel, <laughs> and if you recall how he mm. and Jesse tried to move that big barrel right. of methylamine.
0: And, and they said just
3: roll it, dumbies. Yeah, when would when <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, now Walt knows how to roll a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Cue the That's song, roll the barrel, right. roll out the barrel.
4: Chris, are you going to sing for us? <laughs>
0: Roll out the barrel. Uh, <laughs> Roll out no. The... Okay. <laughs> but um, to awesome. find this uh, to find this anything but amusing after all that tension that yeah, we no. just went through, I mean, and and to have the balls to throw a comedy scene at this point
2: mm-hmm.
0: is just you know that's Ryan at that his best.
3: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the song. Is, and right. Oh, yeah. And the song we were talking about it that night, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Pulp Fiction, where you have that moment with Bruce Willis just before he slams the car into Ving Rhames and everything goes to real hell in that movie. They're playing this very jaunty Western song. I think it's uh, Flowers on the Wall. And this song that we're playing in this scene is very similar to that. It's It's got that same kind of vibe. It's like, oh, it's kind of this jaunty little cute little song. God. We just saw some horrible stuff and I got a feeling we're gonna see some more horrible stuff. Well because
1: then you hear the lyrics or the main line, which is say goodbye to everyone.
3: Right. Uh Right. But I I did misspeak before. I shouldn't have said there's like no lightness whatsoever in the episode. (laughs) I didn't mean to But I will contend and until proven otherwise that I will I will say this might be the least funny of all sixty episodes of Breaking Bad. I, you know, there's, there's a reason Saul Goodman doesn't show up in this episode. Ah, but he does. We'll get to it.
4: Okay, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in seeing that. Um, <laughs> so Walt finally finds he finds a little house, and the uh, the old man there has a truck. Which Walt buys and loads the barrel of money in there, and then we cut to the car wash. We've got uh, Skyler leaving a message on Walt's voicemail because she can't reach him for some reason, and then Marie shows up and right after uh, uh, Walt Jr. or Flynn is checking out a customer and that customer was played by moira wally beckett the writer of the episode and so marie goes into skylar's office there she comes in uh she's very she's confident she's got news she wants to talk to skylar and drops the bomb that uh Walt's been arrested. That Hank got him dead to rights. And she she can help. She and Hank can help Skyler, but there are conditions. She uh, first insists that Skyler destroy all the copies of that confession DVD, and that Skylar tell... Uh, Walt Jr. about Walt. About everything that his father has done. Because she, she still wants to have a relationship with her sister. And so I mean that's good that they both it, it seems like they both still want that. Since they are family. And I don't I don't know if any of their other family is still around. They're not talked about in the show.
1: At least we've never heard anything. Well, other than Walt supposedly has a mother that, you know, he lied about visiting. Right. But yeah, not Skylar and Mary.
0: Now, what's really interesting about this whole setup is I've seen the episode twice now. Mm-hmm. And my first time through, I had nothing but contempt for Marie. It was like, good God, she's just got to be the know-it-all just gotta be in there, doing the busybody thing, and gloating almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was my first take, first blush take on on what that scene was about. On my second viewing, I realized, oh no, wait a minute, Marie has um, the other agenda in mind. She's concerned about that that tape. And this is her... She said she didn't know whether or not she would come because she didn't know whether or not she knew her sister at all. But she decided to come and her conditions were to be the basically the, the cleanup crew for Hank. Hank had done the heavy lifting and had gotten mm-hmm. the bad guy. She was going to do the second tier work and clear their name. Huh. So like my respect for Marie... Changed considerably upon second viewing because at first it was... And it's weird how, like, you know, your personal prejudices... Because I like Marie, but, like, mm-hmm. there's things about her that I hate. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, one of the things I hate about her is, like, you don't tell anything to Marie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and her whole thing about um, that Flynn needs to find out from,
0: uh, and boy, did that name come back hard and heavy. Right, right. Huh? Needs Everybody's to find out from it.
1: from them and not from you know strangers or the media, or whatever. She's not wrong there. You know, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. she handled it correctly. She didn't. And I I agree that I know we haven't said it here. We were talking about it the other day mm-hmm. and online, but um, it it would have been better if Hank could have been there again from her perspective. You know, she could have waited for Hank to come back and help explain it to Flynn. Mm-hmm. But with something this big, as soon as the, the media picks up on the police scanner, they're bringing in, quote, Heisenberg, there is a significant chance, would have been a significant chance, that they would have been all over
4: that house. Okay. Right. The family. Family. Once I'm, they find out the details. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm going to politely disagree with, a few things here. Um, I have, I also watched it a couple times. Uh, my opinion of Marie didn't really change much after my second viewing. Um, I'm not saying, I mean, yes, she getting the tape, you know, doing cleanup business. That's, that's true. But overall, there is a, there is a sense of rubbing it in Skylar's face and the entire business about forcing her tell Flynn I believe is sort of like a retribution it is sort of like a punishment for her complicity in everything that has happened up up into up including that videotape hmm the media might quote might have found out that they've arrested this guy Heisberg I don't know if the details of his identity would be made public that fast it generally doesn't work that way I'm pretty sure she could have waited until Hank got there, because she's forcing Scholar to do something against her will. She's giving her an ultimatum. How that's not, how that cannot be viewed as being vindictive or malicious? Then I don't understand it.
0: Uh, I but, didn't say but, it wait, wasn't. Wait, 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 wait,
3: Scott. Scott? One
0: One aspect of this that you might be overlooking, and this is what I got on the second viewing, is that she has been trying to reach Hank. You know, she has been trying to get more information. And so she's sitting there stewing, not knowing what to do, knowing that things need to get done. And so she took it upon herself to get those things done. They may not have been done in the way that you or I would have done them. But like... As Kelly said, what she's proposing is not wrong. It may not
1: be her primary intention or her primary reason for doing it. There definitely is gloating.